Shabbat Shalom. My name is Ephraim Judah with Line the Land Ministries, and thank you for joining us once again for our Arab Shabbat broadcast here on B'nai In all the ways that you might be watching, whether that's on our mobile app, Facebook Live, or any one of our television apps, we thank you for making us a part of your Sabbath routine. Right now it's August 7th, and we just now wrapped up uh, Camp Yeshua, our Messianic Youth Summer Camp. We had another amazing year and an amazing blessing to uh, pour into the lives of these kids uh, that come from all over, all different states, all different walks of life, and uh, that the Lord, uh, definitely His Spirit is always moving there at Camp Yeshua. Uh, with that now wrapped up, we are now uh, fully focused focused on the uh, Feast of Tabernacles that's coming up in October. Registration for that is still open. If you go to tabernaclesevent.com, you can register your family there. And uh, then the youth, if they uh, met some great new friends there at Camp Yeshua, we hope that uh, them and their families would sign up and then they can uh, see more of their friends once again uh, coming up for the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, So if you would, please uh, sign up at tabernaclesevent.com and we hope everyone can celebrate the appointed time with us. As always, if you're blessed by this broadcast or any of the other things we do here at Line and Land Ministries, if the Lord would stir in your heart, you can make a donation at llgive.com. You can make a one-time gift, sign up as one of our monthly donors, or donate toward the Lynn Judah Memorial Fund, which helps uh, families to uh, who can't afford to come to some of our events, and that helps uh, some of our youth to come to Tabernacle or come to Camp Yeshua, and uh, families to come to Tabernacles as well. So you can make a donation to that uh, if you wish. Once again, thank you for joining us here for our Erev Shabbat broadcast. Now let us set apart this Sabbath from the rest of the week with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom and Hag Sameach to you. Please join with our family as we usher in the Sabbath. unto the nations, and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. Now, Kiddush, blessing over the cup. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, Borei Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Amen. Chamotzi, Chamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam. Chamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. 
Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. Amen. Husbands, now let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for my wonderful wife that you have given to me. I thank you, Lord, for her, and for I pray that you would bless her with your very best blessing. Bless her as she sees about the ways of the household, as she takes care of the children and educates them. And Father, I confess that I love her with all of my heart. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless her on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. <laughs> and now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. 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 Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Adonai ham vorach. Baruch Adonai Havarach Le'olam Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Micha Mocha. Micha Mocha Ba'elim Adonai Micha Mocha Nedahar Bachudesh Nohora Techilot Ohosefele Ohosefele Who is like you? Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu et derech ha-Yeshua b'Mashiach Yeshua. All together. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et ha-Shabbat, la-asot et ha-Shabbat, la-drotam b'rit olam, b'nei avoyom b'nei Yisrael ot-hit le-olam, k'sheshet yamim asadunai et ha-shamayim v'et ha-aretz v'yom ha-shavii Shabbat v'yinafash. All together. The children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema 
Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed, Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'kol nashicha uv'chol meodecha v'heyu hadavarim ha'ale asher nechim ezavcha hayom alevavcha v'shinan tam lavanecha v'depardabam b'shivtecha b'yetecha uv'lechtecha v'derech u'shakbika uv'kumika u'kershatam la'ota yadecha v'heyu latotavot b'inenecha u'chetavtam amazuzot b'techa uv'isherecha all together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen. You're the Lion of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, who ascended to heaven and evermore reign. At the end of the age, with the earth you reclaim, you will gather the nations before you. In the eyes of all men will be fixed on the Lamb who was crucified. With wisdom and mercy, justice shall reign at your Father's side. And the angels cry, Hail the Lamb, who was slain for the world, ruling by. And the earth will reply, You. sword in our side. There's a fire in our spirits that cannot be denied. Cause the Father has told us, for these you have died. For the nations will gather before you. In the ears of all men need to hear of the Lamb that was crucified. Who descended to hell, yet was raised up to reign at his father. Shall reign 
Because you listen to these judgments, and keep and do them, that Adonai your Elohim will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil, 
the increase of your herd and the young of your flock in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There will be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. Adonai will remove from you all sickness, and he will not put on you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt which you have known, but he will lay them all on all who hate you. You shall consume all the peoples whom Adonai your Elohim will deliver to you. Your eye shall not pity them, nor shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. If you would say in your heart, These nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them. You shall well remember what Adonai your Elohim did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw, and the signs and the wonders, and the mighty hand, and the outstretched arm by which Adonai your Elohim brought you out. So shall Adonai your Elohim do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, Adonai your Elohim will send the hornet against them until those who are left and hide themselves from you perish. You shall not dread them, for Adonai your Elohim is in your midst, a great and awesome Elohim. Adonai your Elohim will clear away these nations before you little by little. You will not be able to put an end to them quickly, for the wild beasts would grow too numerous for you. But Adonai your Elohim will deliver them from before you. But Adonai your Elohim will deliver them before you, and will throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. He will deliver their kings into your hands, so that you will make their name perish from under heaven. No man will be able to stand before you until you have destroyed them. The graven images of their gods you are to burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, or you will be snared by it. For it is an abomination to Adonai your Elohim. You shall not bring an abomination into your house, and like it come under the ban. You shall utterly detest it, and you shall utterly abhor it, for it is something banned. Chapter 8 All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply, and go in and possess the land which Adonai swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which Adonai your Elohim has led you in the wilderness these forty years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you, and let you be hungry, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of Adonai. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you are to know in your heart that Adonai your Elohim was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of Adonai your Elohim to walk in his ways and to fear him. For Adonai your Elohim is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and figs, trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless Adonai your Elohim for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget Adonai your Elohim by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget Adonai your Elohim who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. He brought water for you out of the rock of flint. In the wilderness he fed you with manna which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you, and that he might test you, 
to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember Adonai your Elohim, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It shall come about, if you ever forget Adonai your Elohim and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will surely perish, like the nations that Adonai makes to perish before you, so you shall perish, because you would not listen to the voice of Adonai your Elohim. Chapter 9 Hear, O Yisrael, you are crossing over the Yarden today to go in and dispossess nations greater and mightier than you, great cities fortified to heaven, a people great and tall, the sons of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you have heard it said, who can stand before the sons of Anak? Know therefore today that it is Adonai your Elohim who is crossing over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them, and he will subdue them before you, so that you may drive them out and destroy them quickly, just as Adonai has spoken to you. Do not say in your heart when Adonai your Elohim has driven them out before you, because of my righteousness, Adonai has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that Adonai is dispossessing them before you. It is not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart that you are going to possess their land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that Adonai your Elohim is driving them out before you, in order to confirm the oath which Adonai swore to your fathers, to Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Know then, it is not because of your righteousness that Adonai your Elohim is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stubborn people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked Adonai your Elohim to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you left the land of Egypt until you arrived at this place, you have been rebellious against Adonai. Even at Horeb, you provoked Adonai to wrath, and Adonai was so angry with you that he would have destroyed you. When I went up to the mountains to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which Adonai had made with you, then I remained on the mountain forty days and nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Adonai gave me the two tablets of stone written by the finger of Elohim, and on them were all the words which Adonai had spoken with you at the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly. It came about at the end of forty days and nights that Adonai gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then Adonai said to me, Arise, go down from here quickly, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them, and they have made a molten image for themselves. Adonai spoke further to me, saying, I have seen this people, and it indeed is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mitre. Verse 13. Adonai spoke further to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain while the mountain was burning with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands, and I saw that you had indeed sinned against Adonai your Elohim. You had made for yourselves a molten calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which Adonai had commanded you. I took hold of the two tablets and threw them from my hands and smashed them before your eyes. I fell down before Adonai as at the first forty days and nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all your sin which you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of Adonai to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which Adonai was wrathful against you in order to destroy you. But Adonai listened to me that time also. 
Adonai was angry enough with Aharon to destroy him, so I also prayed for Aharon at the same time. I took your sinful thing, the calf which you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was fine as dust, and I threw its dust in the brook that came down from the mountain. Again at Tabarah, and at Massah, and at Kivrota Atava, you provoked Adonai to wrath. When Adonai sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, and then you rebelled against the command of Adonai your Elohim, you neither believed him nor listened to his voice. You have been rebellious against Adonai from the day I knew you. So I fell down before Adonai these forty days and nights, which I did because Adonai had said he would destroy you. I prayed to Adonai and said, Oh, Adonai, Elohim, do not destroy your people, even your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Do not look at the stubbornness of this people or at their wickedness or their sin. Otherwise the land from which you brought us may say, because Adonai was not able to bring them into the land which he had promised them, and because he hated them, he brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. Yet they are your people. Even your inheritance, whom you have brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. Chapter 10 At that time, Adonai said to me, Cut out for yourself two tablets of stone like the former ones, and come up to me on the mountain, and make an ark of wood for yourself. I will write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you shattered, and you shall put them in the ark. So I made an ark of acacia wood, and cut out two tablets of stone like the former ones, and went up on the mountain with the two tablets in my hand. He wrote on the tablets, like the former writing, the Ten Commandments, which Adonai had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire on the day of the assembly, and Adonai gave them to me. Then I turned and came down from the mountain, and put the tablets in the ark which I had made, and there they are, as Adonai commanded me. Now the sons of Israel set out from Be'erot b'nei Yakan to Moserah. There Aharon died, and there he was buried, and Eleazar his son ministered as priest in his place. From there they set out to Gudgoda and from Gudgoda to Yotpata, a land of brooks of water. At that time Adonai set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of Adonai, to stand before Adonai to serve him and to bless his name until this day. Therefore Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers. Adonai is his inheritance, just as Adonai your Elohim spoke to him. I, moreover, stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights like the first time, and Adonai listened to me that time also. Adonai was not willing to destroy you. Then Adonai said to me, Arise, proceed on your journey ahead of the people, that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, Yisrael, what does Adonai your Elohim require from you? But to fear Adonai your Elohim, to walk in all his ways and love him, and to serve Adonai your Elohim with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep Adonai's commandments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to Adonai your Elohim belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. Yet on your fathers did Adonai set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you, above all peoples, as it is this day. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. For Adonai your Elohim is the El of Elohim, and the Adon of Adonai, the great, the mighty, and the awesome El, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow, and he shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall fear Adonai your Elohim, 
You shall serve him and cling to him, and you shall swear by his name. He is your praise and he is your Elohim, who has done these great and awesome things for you, which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons in all. And now Adonai, your Elohim, has made you as numerous as the stars of the heaven. Chapter 11. You shall therefore love Adonai, your Elohim, and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinances, and his commandments. Know this day that I am not speaking with your sons who have not known and who have not seen the discipline of Adonai, your Elohim, his greatness, his mighty hand, and his outstretched arm, his signs and his works which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and to all his land, and to what he did to Egypt's army, to its horses and its chariots, when he made the water of the Red Sea to engulf them while they were pursuing you, and Adonai completely destroyed them, and what he did to you in the wilderness until you came to this place, and what he did to Datan and Aviram, the sons of Eliab, the sons of Reuven, when the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them, their households, their tents, and every living thing that followed them among all Israel. But your own eyes have seen all the great work of Adonai which he did. You shall therefore keep every commandment which I am commanding you today, so that you may be strong, and go in and possess the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, so that you may prolong your days on the land which Adonai swore to your fathers to give them and to their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land into which you are entering to possess it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you used to sow your seed and water it with your foot like a vegetable garden. But the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which Adonai your Elohim cares. The eyes of Adonai your Elohim are always on it, from the beginning even to the end of the year. It shall come about, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love Adonai your Elohim and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul, that he will give the rain for your land in its season the early and late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. He will give grass in your fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Beware that your hearts are not deceived, and that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them, or the anger of Adonai will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which Adonai is giving you. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which Adonai swore to your fathers to give them, as long as the heavens remain above the earth. For if you are careful to keep all this commandment which I am commanding you to do, to love Adonai your Elohim, to walk in all his ways and hold fast to him, then Adonai will drive out all these nations from before you, and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your border will be from the wilderness to Livnon, and from the river to the river Euphrates, as far as the western sea. No man will be able to stand before you, Adonai your Elohim will lay the dread of you and the fear of you on all the land which you set foot, as he has spoken to you. Thank you for joining us for the reading of Parashah Ekev. Now, Parashah Ekev starts off 
with the Hebrew phrase, Vahaya ekev tishmaon. Ekev is, of course, the word that we get to refer to this parasha as. Uh, ekev means on the heel. It, in other words, as a result of or because. Or, so then it becomes, and it shall be because you hear. Or then it shall come about because you listen. The point of it is, the point of Ekev is to listen. We then see, as the parasha goes, in chapter 7, verse 12, it says, Then it shall come about, because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that Adonai your Elohim will keep with you his covenant and his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. In other words, when you perform the commands, Adonai keeps his covenant with you. Here's the thing we need to understand. The Torah is not the covenant. We see here, in, it says in the third month, after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came into the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. And there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moshe went up to Elohim, and Adonai called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Yaakov and tell the sons of Israel, you, shall, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moshe came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which Adonai had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that Adonai has spoken we will do. And Moshe brought back the words of the people to Adonai. Now that comes from Exodus chapter 19. That describes the covenant. And the covenant is to keep the Torah. The covenant is not the Torah. The Torah is not the covenant. The covenant is to keep the Torah. In fact, we see from Jeremiah, Yermayahu, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, days are coming, declares Adonai, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Yehuda, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares Adonai. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Adonai. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their Elohim, and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, No, Adonai, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares Adonai. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. What is the consequence of keeping the covenant? Well, we read in chapter 7 of this week's parasha, Then Adonai, if you keep the covenant, he will bless you with fruitfulness in your womb, fruitfulness in your land, fruitfulness in your flocks, protection from disease and plague, success over your enemies. These are all the blessings that are to be gained by keeping the covenant. As we move through the parasha and we arrive at chapter 11, verse 1 says, You shall therefore love Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai your Elohim, and always keep his charge 
his mishmeret, his statutes, his chukot, his ordinances, his mishpatim, and his commandments, his mitzvot. You see, to Adonai, loving him, you shall therefore love him. Loving him is equal to keeping his commandments. Why? Because if you love him, you will desire to please him. And desiring to please him causes you to keep his commandments, that you might make him happy because you are displaying your love. Not that you make him happy through the keeping of commandments. It's that by your love, you display to him through your keeping of the commandments that love for him. Ten times in this parasha, Moshe instructs us to keep the commands of Adonai in the parasha. Chapter 7, verse 12. Chapter 8, verse 1. Verse 6, verse 11. Chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Chapter 11, verse 1. Verse 8, verse 13. Verses 18 through 21. And verse 22. Ten times. Four of those times. Keeping those commands is associated with love. In chapter 7, verse 12. Chapter 10, verse 12. Chapter 11, verse 1. And chapter 11, verse 13. So, do you think that love is an important factor in keeping the commands? I dare say they are. In fact, Yeshua said the very same thing in John chapter 14, verses 15 and verse 21, where he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Coming back to this parasha, in chapter 10, verse 20, it says, Fear Adonai your Elohim, serve him and cling to him and swear by his name. Now the word that's there in the Hebrew, when we read the word cling to him, it's the word devak. In Hebrew, it means to, to hold fast to something. We see this word used several times in other verses. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Your eyes have seen what Adonai has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, Adonai Eloheinu has destroyed them from among you. But you who held fast, you who devak, you clung to Adonai your Elohim are alive today, every one of you. We also see this in Bereshit in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined. Devak shall cling to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now that gives us a bit of an idea of what this word cling means. The two becoming one flesh in the same way we are to cling to him. Now, this same word, if we were to look into the Greek version, the Septuagint, this word, where the word uh, Hebrew word devak is used, in the Greek Septuagint, it's the word kolatison. Now, kolatison, it's a, it's a verb. It's not a, an adjective, a, an adverb, a noun. It's a verb. It, it denotes action. This same word, kolatison, also appears in noun form in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, as kolao. And it says there, let love be with, without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Kulao, cling to what is good. Davak, the Hebrew word, is equivalent to the Greek word kulatison. 
Kolatison is the modern-day Greek word for glue. We are to literally glue ourselves to Adonai. Which begs this question, what are you glued to? What are we glued to? What do we spend our time, our emotions, our devotions, our activities on? Are we glued to Him? Are we clinging to Him? Or are we glued to something else? Clinging to something else. Let's love Him. Let's glue ourselves to Him. And as a result of our love and being stuck with Him, joined together as one with Him, may we keep His commands and may we honor Him in everything we do. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat shalom. All right, good to see everyone. If you would, in your Bibles, please turn to the book of Isaiah, to chapter 49, and uh, put your finger there at verse 14. We're going to begin there and go through all of chapter 50 and into, I think it's the first seven, or no, first three verses of chapter 51. This is the second Haftor portion of seven Haftor portions, and the, la the first one began last week. This is the second of a set of seven referred to as the Haftors of Consolation. And one of the, it, there, this is a sermon. We're not teaching exegetically. I'm going to give you some exegetical teaching and tell you what this portion has in it. But there is a sermon uh, that's been around for a long time. In fact, this sermon comes out of the book of Isaiah, and it's called a homiletic teaching, meaning it's sermonized uh, for us. And there's seven passages, and each Sabbath now, we go through one of those passages, and we have this building story that we tell. Uh, the, let me give you the, the end result. Let me, let me give you the full title of what this wonderful sermon is about. It's called The Consolation of Israel and the Redemption of Jerusalem. Uh, this sermon is the oldest biblical sermon that we know of. This sermon was being preached before the Messiah ever came. And in fact, we have evidence in the New Testament as to how powerful this sermon was. When Yeshua was first taken to the temple by his mother and his father. He met a man there. The man actually approached him. His name was Simeon. And it, the, the scripture tells us, and this is in the Gospel of Luke, tells us that this man was a devout man and that he had, uh, had an understanding with God that before he closed his eyes in death, that God would grant him to see the Messiah with his own eyes. And when he sees Yeshua coming into the temple... He cries out and, and, and confronts the parents and so forth and announces that God has been faithful to him and has shown him the salvation of Israel. Now, here's the irony of it is that the word salvation there is Yeshua. That's the actual name of Yeshua when he came. And by the way, that was the day when he comes to the temple that in which that, he is, that his name is formally made to the community. 
that his name is announced to the community. I mean, the parents have the name, they tell their friends, but when do you tell all of Israel what the name of the child is? That first time they come to the temple, and so they hear they're coming, and here's him making the proclamation of his name. And of course, it says that both Joseph and Mary were amazed that, that God had spoken to him and that he said the things that he said. Now, in describing Simeon, it says that he was a devout man and he was looking for the consolation of Israel. That phrase is part of the Hoftors of Consolation. It's part of what is in this teaching. So he was very familiar with this sermon, and he believed this sermon, and it was of great inspiration to him, and it's what drove him to be in the temple to do what he did with Yeshua. There's also a woman that Yeshua met in the temple that day. Her name is Anna. It gives a little bit of a background of her about how that she'd been married, but she lost her husband, and she'd remained in the temple, serving in the temple for many years. And she, too comes up and confronts Yeshua and joins with Simeon. And in explaining her testimony, it says of her, she was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Simeon is looking for the consolation of Israel. Anna is looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, that's the key phrase. This sermon, this Hoftor is a consolation. If you were to summarize and put a title on it, it's called the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. And by the way, let me just uh, uh, make a rather bold, audacious uh, statement about this. The Christian church, I'm going to make this open to everybody. The Christian church in all of its forms, for all of the sermonizing that they have ever done, and I used to be a good Baptist, and, and that's one of the things a good Baptist minister does, is put together good sermons. Uh, of course, most Baptists put together what we call sermonettes. They only last about 22 minutes or so. Uh, but as a biblical sermon, this sermon that is given in the Hoftors of Consolation, far out, as far as I'm concerned, it is a, the, a much better sermon than the best one that has ever been put together by the church. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, the church is going to harp, well, we're, we're sermonizing about the Messiah. Guess what this is sermonizing about? The Messiah. And it's from the prophets calling out the name of the Messiah. Yeshua. It's preaching Yeshua as our salvation, as our redemption. And it's laying out the, the, what we call the gospel message. In fact, in this Hoftor as a Consolation, you're going to hear the prophet Isaiah refer to the good news, refer to the gospel, of which New Testament writers will quote from when they're talking about what the gospel is supposed to be. And the gospel, whom the church thinks is exclusively their territory, you know that we never had the gospel before until we had the church come along. Sadly, are they mistaken? Because Paul himself even says that God first preached the gospel to Abraham. This gospel message has been going on for a long time. Isaiah the prophet is going to lay out the best sermon you've ever heard in your life. I mean the best sermon. Even the New Testament makes reference to it. And in fact, the apostles, so there's certain key verses in this, I've told you, where the New Testament quotes more often from Isaiah than any other book. Guess what they're quoting? The verses that are part of the Hoftor of Consolation. This sermon that has been given. 
And once you go through and you really see what the sermon is, then you'll understand why Yeshua was talking about certain things. That when he was talking about himself and being the redeemer and so forth, you're going to find that is exactly what was coming out of this. It's the most powerful biblical sermon that we have in Scripture. And actually is the standard for how to do a homiletic, how to, how to sermonize uh, the Scripture. It's a beautiful example of how to perceive the intent of the Scripture, the Spirit of the Lord that's in that Word, and to come forth with a message uh, to the people. Now, as I said to you, this is the second portion of the first portion. The first portion, just to remind you, and by the way, as each week as we go through, I'll remind you of the previous ones so we line it up to understand the next one. Last, uh, last week, last Shabbat, it was from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people. And that's the, the, the first message is we're going to do something wonderful and good for the people. And then it's a message that extends from that. Now this one, beginning in chapter 49 at verse 14, says the following words. Um, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Let me just tell you the basic dynamics of every human experience in the world is God created the worlds, we were, we were brought into the world, we're mortals in the world, and in the course of our first experiences of being mortals and living here in the world, guess what we do? We get into sin. And as the Bible teaches that if when you sin, you get separated from God. So the first evidence, the first cost, the first penalty of sin is you suddenly recognize, where's God? I, I can't seem to find him. And so the first words of this, for this is, for Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Zion is crying out and saying, I feel separated from God. Where's the Lord? I think he left me. What they don't understand is they left the Lord. The Lord didn't leave them. They left the Lord. And that's what happens when you transgress the Lord. When you sin, you separate yourself from the Lord. You turn away from his path. You turn away from the way he's going. And you pick a new path. And you go astray. And then you have the audacity to say, God left me. God didn't leave you. You left God. And so you have this this disparity between your, your person and where God is at, and you think the Lord has forsaken you. So this is, by the way, when we share the gospel message, one of the first things that we say to a person when we go up and we want to potentially lead to the Lord, we say something like, God has a wonderful plan for you. God loves you. You know, we get comfort, oh, comfort, Israel. You know, we try to say something positive, and then the very next thing we begin to assert is, you do know that you're separate from God. Uh, you've sinned. By the way, everybody has sinned, and you're a sinner too. And we get them to confront the fact that they're separate from God. The, with the idea in mind that the, the solution is going to come in, well, you need to get connected with God again. You need to turn, repent, and go back toward God. 
That's the basic gospel message as we go and we try to lead someone to salvation. This is the basic thing. So here's the, the, the key point of asserting to, yes, you're right, you do, you are separate from God, but God didn't forsake you. And you're separate from God in, in terms of recognizing his presence is because you've gone astray. You, you've gone off the path and, and you're going somewhere else. Um, you know, in the church, uh, they're scared to death to try to say to a sinner that you should obey the Lord. They're, they're afraid that, um, that if they say that, they'll think their salvation is based on works instead of faith. And so they're scared to death to say to a sinner, well, you need to obey the Lord. But the reality is, if the guy's sin is caused because he decided to go astray, then the whole act of repentance is that he would turn around and he would go back to where the Lord is at and pay attention to what the Lord says and stop transgressing the Lord. But we're afraid to say that. We'll just summarize it. It's all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let's get past the sin thing. Let's talk about God's grace. But they never teach them how to stay on the path. They simply get saved and then all of a sudden, here they go, off the path again. And by the way, they're not successful in their faith. And we've got a lot of frustrated church folks. They're very frustrated. They know something's wrong. It's not working out right for them. And that's the basis of why a lot of people come to the Messianic movement and the teaching. Why? Because we are talking about, hey, come back with your relationship with God, that faith one, you know, and start walking uprightly before the Lord. Stay on the path of the Lord. And that way you'll feel God's presence and blessings and, and you'll be doing what God wanted you to do. Not for salvation, but so you can maintain the relationship with God. And by the way, we all, I don't care who you are in the Christian church, all of us are striving for a better relationship with God. Want to have a better relationship with God? I can tell you what to do. Listen to what the Lord says and do what he says. You'll have a better relationship with the Lord. And stop listening to teachers that say, oh, oh we, we don't want to follow those commandments. I mean, stop and think about it. That's the message from the devil. The message from the devil is don't listen to the Lord. Don't do what the Lord says. The true message is the one that says turn back to what the Lord has said and go follow what the Lord has said. That would be the true message. Now, this whole gospel account, this good news to go out and bring, you know, salvation and deliverance to the people and bring them in is going to be integrated with both faith in the Messiah and you need to learn to obey the Lord. So let me, with that, let me read on a little bit further because the confrontation of that uh, Israel has been in sin and how to address it uh, very quickly is going to be a part of this message. Verse 15, since the charge has been made that God has forsaken me, let's answer that first. Has God truly forsaken you because you've sinned? Verse 15, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Is it possible for a woman who has a small baby and is nursing the baby and also has a child in her womb, is it possible that for the child in the womb she will focus on that child to, to the chagrin or to the dissatisfaction of the child that nurses from 
Is that possible? Yes, it is possible. I know it's hard to believe because mothers love all of their children. But because of finite things, a mother sometimes has to focus on this child or these children, and other children don't get quite the attention that they thought they were deserving. Is that possible that a mother could do that? Yes, it is possible. Is it possible for God to forget you? No. God is not like an earthly mother. He is not finite limited. A mother who is doing its, her best to care for her children is never going to quite do it as well as God will do it. Because she doesn't have the skills that God has. She doesn't have all of the, you know, she's limited to her senses, her, her own strengths. But God is, does not forget. God continues to remember and continues to look for it. Let me read further for you. Verse 16, Behold, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hand. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders hurry. Your destroyers and devastators will depart from you. Lift your hands up and look around. All of them gather together. They come to you as I live, declares the Lord. You shall surely put all of them on as jewels and bind them on as a bride. And for your waste and desolate places and your destroyed land... Surely now you will be too cramped in the, for the inhabitants, and those who swallowed you up will be far away. Here's what the Lord is basically uh, saying there. He says, everything that you see that you think is at odds with you, your enemies. You know what I'm going to do? I'm the Lord. I'm going to turn every obstacle that's, in, uh, that's bothering you, and I'm going to turn it into like a jewel, and you're going to fix it to your garment like you're a bride. You know, brides' dresses are very, very important. If, for those of you who have daughters and never gone through a wedding, getting the dress for the bride is like a just as significant event as where you're going to hold the wedding and who's the guy that's going to be marrying her. I mean, it's, it's that important. And one of the major budget items that fathers learn about weddings is this isn't just any dress we're buying here. This is the dress, the dress of her life. Now, imagine a dress with all of its embroidery and its decor and its train and, and the veil that goes with it and, and, and the styling and so forth. And let's go ahead and take precious stones and attach precious stones all over the dress to make it even more valuable, to have greater beauty. Here's what the Lord is saying. He said, you think you've been forsaken. You think your enemies have overwhelmed you. I'm here to tell you, I'm going to take your enemies. I'm going to make them into like precious stones. And I'm going to attach them to you on your wedding dress. That the wedding dress you're going to wear for me is going to be adorned with precious things way beyond your imagination. And I doubt, with the exception of maybe the future queen of England or some monarch like that, that the wet, her wedding dress would be more adorned of more value of, of things. I, you know, I go back to recent days. Princess Diana had a pretty nice wedding dress. I'm sure there was jewelry associated with it. But the Lord is saying, what I'm going to do with you, Israel, is far more than that. Your wedding dress will be even more beautiful. Because I'm going to take all the things that you're all concerned about and fearful of, and I'm going to turn them into adornments for you. 
Well, that's, that's a pretty positive message. You know, we're crying out and saying, hey, the Lord's left me, he's forgotten me, he's forsaken me, and he's going, let's get something straight right off the bat. I have never left you, and I have never forsaken you. One of my favorite verses, and one of the promises that penetrates my heart greatly, is God's promise to me where he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have called upon that promise of God a multitude number of times in my life. When I'm low, when I'm hurting, when, I, when I'm confused and, and, and things aren't going well for me, I say, Lord, you have promised me you will never leave me nor forsake me. I'm believing your promise. I don't know how to sort myself out through all of this, but I know that promise is still good. And so I'm, I'm looking to you with hope and belief that you'll fulfill your good word in my life. Here is God making this promise. He's, ma- he's making this argument to Israel. You stand up and you say, I've left you, I've forgotten you, I've forsaken you. No, that's not true. That's, that your sin problem is what has caused you to be in this position and have these fears. But we're going to correct that sin problem. And we're going to correct this erroneous perception that you have of God. You believe the wrong things of the Lord. And so we've got to get it straight so that you believe the Lord correctly. And it's what his role is. Verse 19, well, he begins to talk about the place where they live as being like a wilderness. But he says, I'm going to make it a cramped place. Now, what, what is that? What do you, there's this wilderness, this barren, and he says, I'm going to make it a cramped place. And what he's referring to is, when you see all my servants come together, it's going to be far greater than you ever thought. That wilderness is going to become part of the kingdom because it will hold the number of brethren that are going to be part of it. And oh, by the way, it'll, we'll be having to fit them in. You know, because the increase of the kingdom is going to be far greater than you can imagine. You think, oh, that part of the land is wilderness. He says, no, 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 that will be a lush place full of people. There will be that many brethren. Let me go a little bit further with you. Verse 20, the children of whom you were bereaved will yet say in their ears, the place is too cramped for me. It's not Israel. The children that you lost... You're going to get them back. You're going to get them back. And they're going to come and they're going, wow, there's, there's, it looks like there's too many of us. That the return of your loss will be so great that they'll say, is there, is there room for us to come back? He goes on further. The place is too cramped for me. Make room for me that I may live here. Then you will say in your heart, Who has begotten these for me since I have been bereaved of my children and am barren and an exile and a wanderer? And who has reared these? Behold, I was left alone. From whence did these come? Now Israel has been scattered into the nations. The house of Israel went into Assyrian captivity and dispersed throughout the world. Judah went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. Only a remnant came back. Then the Romans came, and then they dispersed all of Judah throughout the world. So Judah and Israel are dispersed throughout all of the world. 
And by the way, you do know that in ancient times, anytime that would happen to a nation, the nation ceased to exist. Has Israel ceased to exist? No. Why is that, that Israel has not ceased to exist? Is because they have a God who looks after them. They have a God who told Moses that though you disobey me, though you transgress me, though I scatter you in the nations, I will not forget you. I will not abhor you so as to destroy you completely. I will remember the covenant for you, and I will fulfill my promises that I made to your fathers, and I will make you more than the sands of the sea and the stars of the heaven, and I will bring you back to this land. And that's where we are today in this generation. We have seen God fulfill the promise to the house of Judah. They were the last ones to go into dispersion. They're the first ones to come back. And we're looking for the house of Israel, which is scattered throughout all of the nations, for them to be revealed and them to make their way back. And that's what this verse is talking about. I, God, am going to make that happen. Now, the Jews love this message. They absolutely love it. In fact, they call this the final redemption. This is what the consolation of Israel and the redemption of Jerusalem means. It means when God goes out and consoles his people wherever they're at and gathers them again, brings them back in, fulfills his good word he made to our fathers. And then he brings them in the focal point of where they're brought to is Jerusalem, where the Lord the Messiah will come and live and reign from on this earth. And then it will be his kingdom. And quite honestly, what was started as the down payment of the kingdom land as being the land of Israel, I've said it correctly, that's just the down payment. The he fully intends to have a kingdom that will have the entire world. The whole world. And so the question is being asked by those of Israel who feel that they've been separated from the Lord. And they say, wait a minute, I, I, I didn't give birth to all of these that are coming. Who, how is it they're my sons and daughters now? Where did they come from? Who, who, who gave birth to them? I, I didn't give birth to them. And that's when all the people of the world, including the scattered house of Israel turns back and believes in the God of Israel. And they, by adoption, become sons and daughters. And so this, this consolation of Israel, this redemption of Jerusalem, these hoftors of consolation, is about what God's intent is to do with everybody's sin. He's going to come up with a solution for everyone's sin so that everyone that wants to have this relationship with God can do so. Let me go a little bit further. Verse 22, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set my standard for the peoples, and they will bring your sons in their bosom, and your daughters will be carried on your shoulders, and kings will be your guardians, and their princesses your nurses. They will bow down to you with their faces to the earth, lick the dust of your feet, and you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully wait for me will not be put to shame. Incredibly powerful verse. It says, I'm going to set something up as an ensign to the whole world. 
And this is going to be the standard bearer in which that all of the people that are going to be coming to my kingdom, they're going to come following that standard. By the way, let me go ahead and just ask you, what is the standard that has been set up for the whole world by God to bring the whole world to his kingdom? It's the Messiah. The redemption of the Messiah is the standard which has been set up. And to this day, every nation of the world has heard about this standard. Every nation of the world since then has heard about what God is doing. And that's the reason why it's called the good news. That's the reason why it's called the gospel. That's the reason why we're putting this message out. This is the consolation to Israel, no matter where you're at, whatever sin has separated you, whatever nation you've been scattered to. I have come good news for you. Redemption is now for you, and God himself will be bringing you back. What an incredible, positive message. Um, like I said, this is a sermon that far exceeds any Sunday sermons you've been getting. And they've been preaching the gospel for a long time. Because they've always been short-sighted. Their sermon was always, well, we Gentiles were coming to know the Lord. Now, I'm not disputing that Gentiles aren't coming to the Lord. I know they're coming to the Lord. But they forgot Israel. Israel has done the same thing. Oh, we're, we're Jews. We're, we're in the kingdom. I don't know about those other guys. I guess they get in somehow. No, I got news for you. We're all in the same assembly. We are going to be part of the same kingdom. We're all going to be under the same standards. We're all going to be keeping the same commandments. And we all have the same spirit, same baptism. It's all the same. There is no difference. This is clearly text written to the house of Judah. And on the broader scale, to all of Israel native-born Israel. But all of a sudden, this is the message. This very message is the message that the Messiah preached for the whole world. And that's what we have in the New Testament. It's the same message as in the New Testament. But here it is through the prophet Isaiah. So where do we get the idea that the, quote, New Testament is new? That's a mis misnomer. What they ought to say is the testament of the Messiah given by Moses and his prophets. That's what it should be. I bet you if I had the Apostle Paul sitting here right now, and I believe he was intimately familiar with this passage of Scripture because he quoted from it quite extensively in his letters, I believe if he was standing right here, he'd say, what do you mean the church got the idea that they were separate from Israel? What are you telling me? That they misunderstood my controversy with the Pharisees uh, who, who were against the grace of God. And, and I explained to them, I said, God's been doing this thing all the way from Abraham all the way up to the present time. That was the message of Paul. And he'd be asking the question, how come you people don't understand that? How did you get the idea that I was starting something new? I didn't start anything new. I was preaching to you what it already says. But that goes to show you how confused we are these days. Um, I want you to, uh, let's see, I think I've read this verse here. Yeah, verse 23 that I read to you. Let me show you just how powerful that verse is in the New Testament. Verse 
If you take the verse, let me read it for you again, particularly this part where it says, they will bow down to you with their faces to the earth, lick the dust of your feet, and you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hopefully uh, wait for me will not be put to shame. So for the record, let me take you to the book of Revelation, to a passage of Scripture. This is the Messiah talking. Let's make sure we got something straight. This is not John, the apostle, talking. This is the Messiah talking. And he's giving a message of encouragement to all of the different churches, all the different fellowships. And I believe he's giving it to the ones that will be at the end of the age. In which that? He says in Revelation 3, 9, he's dealing with there's going to be a certain controversy in the end times. And here's how he addresses it. Verse 9, chapter 3. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them to come bow down at your feet and to know that I have loved you. That is the Messiah making reference to this verse in Isaiah 49. See, the message in Isaiah 49 is how he's going to bring all of Israel back. But these Jews who are vexing Ephraim and who are opposed to Ephraim these days, in this day, and some of my Messianic Jewish brethren, I hate to say it, they don't like the idea that there's a bunch of people that are rising up and think they're B'nai Ephraim. They feel it's going to be competition with them. And so, like Isaiah 11 says, that we're still in the days where Judah is vexing Ephraim and Ephraim is vexing Judah. You know, there was a split that took place after King Solomon. That split is still acting. We're still not getting the message that God plans on bringing us all back and reunifying us again. We call the restoration of the two houses of Israel. And there's a bunch of Jews. They don't like that teaching. They don't want to believe that. Uh, look, everybody that's come back to Israel has already come back and there's no future thing and we're in charge. That's the simplified version of it. And here's what God says to the last day of churches. He says, hey, you know those guys over there say they're Jews? They're not really. Wow, what an indictment that is. Those guys who are in those assemblies claiming to be in the assemblies of me, no, they're not in the assemblies of me. They're in the assemblies of Satan. What's that mean? That means they just go around accusing other brethren all the time. So they're called the synagogue of Satan. They accuse other brethren. He says, I'm going to make those particular people come in, bow down before you. Lick the dust where your feet is at so that you, they know that I love you. And those that hopefully believe in me, they will not be ashamed. So we have a whole lot of, in this messianic movement, especially amongst the independent messianics, we have a whole lot of people that my Jewish brethren would like to say, well, they're just all a bunch of Gentiles. Well, they might be. It might be. They also might be some of the representatives of the remnant of the B'nai Ephraim of the other tribes. Now, I want to remind everybody that Ephraim, when he first came into the world, did not look like he belonged to the house of Jacob. He looked like an Egyptian. He grew up in an Egyptian home under his father Joseph. 
Hey, he had a completely different style about him, a completely different look. He didn't look like the sons of Jacob. And so here we have the sons of Jacob, Judah in particular, looking out over and saying, they don't look like they belong to us. They don't, they don't look like us. They're, they're, they're not the same as us. And it's no dumber than hearing the idea that the sons of Jacob didn't think that Ephraim was a part of them. Now, here's the irony. God said, hey, uh, Joseph, your son Ephraim and Manasseh, guess what? I'm promoting them to equal level with their uncles. I'm promoting Ephraim to the same level as Judah. So where is the we're bigger than you, we're over you business? Where did did that come from? Well, that's nonsense. That's confusion. That's not right. And here's the promise in the book of Isaiah as part of the constellation of Israel. All of you who are coming back to me, coming back to me to obey me and so forth, those those brethren that are harassing you, I want you to understand I'm going to take care of them. Just be patient. Wait, you don't need to go and counter-argue. Just be patient. They'll be coming and bowing down to you very shortly. And that's what I say to my Messianic brethren. Do not argue with my Messianic Jewish brethren when they vex you and they treat you as something less. Do not, don't get into an argument with them. Just stand back and watch what God's getting ready to do. That's the restoration. That's God's way of doing. He's going to restore these old wounds. He's going to heal them and correct them. And he's going to be doing that all over the world as he brings the people back. Now, I wish I could go into more of what we got, but my time has run out because it's intense. Uh, Chapter 50 in particular is asking a question. Who says that I, God, divorce Israel? Somebody, show me that certificate of divorce. Where is that? He's posing the question here. Who? Oh, you're saying that I divorced Israel. I got rid of Israel and so forth. Really? Could you show me the proof on that? Where's the document? Where, where, where does it say that? That's God talking to the modern church. And Israel will be restored. And those who trust the Lord, they'll be part of the group. We will all be restored. But there's a lot of people who are going to be embarrassed when the kingdom comes. I've always said that when the Messiah returns, it's going to wreck everybody's theology. There's a whole bunch of New Testament theologies that are going to get wrecked big time. And we're going to find out, oh my gosh, the Lord didn't change. The, the, The Lord... He promised us he would not leave us, nor forsake us, nor forget us, and he, 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 he kept his word. So where do we get the idea that he'd forsaken us and he's gone and, and, and no more? That's a false teaching. This homiletic teaching here is the true sermon. This is the true teaching. This is the true teaching that was given to Israel. It's the true teaching that was given to the Messiah and the Messiah gave to his apostles and the ones that they were preaching. That's the true message for all of us. Same message. The gospel message. The good news. Amen?
All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for, again, your scripture. Thank you for your promises. And we thank you, Lord, for the teaching called the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem. And as we go through this Haftor portions, we ask by your spirit that you would awaken within our hearts and souls this incredible message that you have of good news for all of us. We ask it in Yeshua's name. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. If you would please now turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans to chapter 12. Hold your finger at verse 9 where our Brit Hadashah portion will begin for this week. As you open the scripture, let us turn this time over to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again that we can open your scripture each and every week, each and every Sabbath. And Father, I pray that you would just pour out your blessings and pour out your uh, provisions and your teaching uh, into our hearts and minds this week. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged and strengthened in our most holy faith, as we dig into your word and as we uh, study the commandments and the scripture, uh, Lord, your heart that is on the word, in the words of these pages, Lord, Father, I pray that you, they would just speak to us and minister to us this Sabbath. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Our Torah portion this week is Ikev, which uh, comes from uh, Deuteronomy, uh, begins in the middle of Deuteronomy chapter 7. And uh, before I get into the Brett Hadashah reading, um, this passage and this portion has some of my favorite uh, chunks of scripture in the Torah. Some of the, the oration that Moses is giving to the children of Israel um, just is encouraging, it's strengthening, it's, it's speaking to the children of Israel when they enter into the land, how they're going to dispossess the nations, um, remembering the Lord in all the things that he has done for us while in the wilderness. Um, and then also there's one section in here in the middle of chapter 10 that my New King James titles the, po the portion as the essence of the law, and it actually is is one of the most New Testament sounding passages of scripture that you will ever find in the Torah itself. And so what I want to do is I want to start here in Romans chapter 12 at verse 9, talking about something that is as we behave as believers and as we operate as followers of the Messiah, it, it's connected back to the children of Israel and how they were now to behave, and they're about to enter into the promised land. They're about to receive the inheritance and the blessing that God is giving to them after rescuing them from Egypt, after going through the great and terrible wilderness. When you enter into the land, this is what you are going to do. This is how you are going to behave. This is why he gave them the law, gave them the Torah, the basically the, the civil uh, ordinances of how to operate as a kingdom. Um, that's one of the reasons for the Torah. And one of the things that is because we knew that the children of Israel Israel, they rejected the promised land originally because there were giants in the land and there were great kingdoms in the land that they were going to have to fight and dispossess. Well, those giants, those kingdoms, are they're all still there. So one of the things that God is speaking through Moses and encouraging that generation that's going to go into the land is encouraging them by saying, look, I'm going to send you in and you will dispossess these nations. You will remove them. You, yes, you will fight against them. And there's one little phrase in our Torah portion back in Deuteronomy 7 where it says that the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. Little by little. That doesn't mean that it's going to be just, uh, you know, snap his fingers and then all of them are gone and then the children of Israel will just have to move in. 
It's also very much speaking to the fact that it's the Lord who dispossesses the nations, the Lord who will drive them out. Yes, the children of Israel will have to pick up arms, pick up swords. There'll be some fights that they'll have to face. But ultimately, it's the Lord that's doing that work. And he's doing so so that he can bring and give that inheritance to the children of Israel. But one of the things that the children of Israel need to have, they need to have all faith in the Lord. They need to operate as the Lord has commanded them to operate, following the commandments of law, of Torah. And also, they need to have the patience necessary, knowing that the Lord is going to do it little by little. That's one thing that children of Israel could have gone into the land and just say, oh, why is this taking so long to get rid of that kingdom and that kingdom and tear down that high place and this, this over here and this over here. And it's like, well, no, the Lord said, I oh, will do this little by little, but he is doing it so that he might give them possession of the land. So now, uh, first passage that I want to talk about here, Romans chapter 12, here at uh, starting at verse 9. This is talking about how it's the Lord that does these things that repays upon those people who uh, who have acted evil, who worship other gods, who do all these things. Ultimately, it's the Lord that handles these things and not necessarily us. Now, it depends on what God is calling us to do and how he's asking them to walk. Like I said, children of Israel still had to fight the fight sometimes, but the Lord is the one who's ultimately doing it. Let's read this passage here and let's bring out again more of the teaching here that I believe parallels our Torah portion for this week. Verse 9 of Romans 12 says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly, affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What a great, encouraging passage of scripture of Paul uh, writing in his letter to the Romans here, talking about how we are to behave amongst one another, encouraging us that even through tribulation, have patience. Whenever, whenever there's trials before you, whenever there's a situation when you might be wondering, man, this is hard, this isn't, this isn't easy. Well, if the Lord has called it to be, then you simply have to have the patience, stand still, and wait to see what the Lord is doing from one situation to the next. That's obviously what the children of Israel had to do while in the wilderness. What the children of Israel had to do, even entering into the promised land, and that they still weren't able to defeat the enemies right away. It took some time. In fact, if you remember, 
there was a couple of tribes that wanted to camp on the east side of the Jordan. It was Reuben, uh, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They had all these lands that they wanted to stay in after they entered into the Promised Land. But remember, Moses told them, it's like, no, we need to actually, you guys and your men need to go into the land with us, help us to fight and dispossess the, the kingdoms of the land of Canaan, and then afterwards, you can then go back to your lands. Well, I imagine some of those, uh, some of those men of those tribes probably were like, man, why, why are we fighting this fight? When is this, this war going to be over so that we can return back to our lands? Our lands are already in peace where we, where we have decided to settle and to camp. Then why in the world are we having to do all this? Well, they committed that they would. But again, that patience is just what was necessary for some of the men of Israel to know that the Lord was doing this little by little. The other thing about this, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The, the, the vengeance belongs to the Lord. And the Lord called the children of Israel to destroy and tear down the high places of these, uh, of these nations. And that the Lord was calling Israel to enact vengeance on these, on these kingdoms that needed to because they worshipped other gods. And that the Lord was giving the children of Israel that land. But ultimately, the vengeance is the Lord's. We can never use our own opinion to somehow think, oh, that person, that person is evil, so I'm going to take vengeance out on them. No, if the Lord causes somebody to be removed, remember, some of those nations, as it says in the Torah, were driven out by the Lord, driven out by wild beasts, or it says the Lord will send the hornet after them, and they will flee. And then one of the things the children of Israel, the biggest uh, pitfall of the children of Israel was this. They need to make sure to not go their eyes being drawn to all the gold and the silver and the high places that it's like, oh, man, look, look at all this. Look at this temple to this God and look how amazing it is. You know what? I'm going to take a little of that gold for myself or I'm going to, oh, that looks nice. I'm going to take that for myself. And then we, the children of Israel were warned not to have their eyes go after gods of stone and gods of, of wood and gods of gold and silver. And to follow after those things. In fact, the, the, what's, what uh, Paul said here was this. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. It wasn't about going to where uh, these kingdoms worship their gods, but go to the vineyards, go to the, the, the cities, go to, the, go to the, the small, the, the humble places of the land. And that's the place where we're to live. We're supposed to tear down those high places, not go following after them. Our eyes go following after other idols. And that's what the children of Israel had to do. They always had to be had to remember to do those things. They needed to work with one another. They needed to bless one another, to help one another, to help the to to um, always making sure the ones among them, among the brethren, that they were satisfied, that they were helped, that the, that their needs were met. Live peaceably with all men. All all of these these words and this encouragement. This all has to do with how are we going to live and operate as believers in the land when the Lord is leading and guiding our steps to take possession of this inheritance. Lots of things the children of Israel had to remember as they were going through this process. They um, this idea and this concept of patience is continued on. If you would turn with me now to James chapter five where it's talking about that we need to be patient amongst the brethren. James chapter 5, verse 7, it says this, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be contemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You who have the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Continue to contend for the Lord. Be patient with all the things that are coming. Just as the farmer waits for the rain, for the harvest, for all of those things to come before you can yield the benefits, we too have to be patient waiting on the Lord. The generation that died in the wilderness failed to have that patience. In our Torah portion, particularly in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9, the entire sin of the golden calf is reviewed for us in our Torah portion this week. The sin of the golden calf, the rebellion, what the children of Israel did. They were sitting there at the base of the mountain. Moses had gone up. They waited more, up to 40 days, 40 nights. We don't know exactly how long. You know, they, they, they were getting antsy. They didn't have the patience to wait for the Lord, wait for Moses to return. And they made a God for themselves. They, and they started grumbling amongst one another. And if it wasn't the sin of the golden calf, which killed 3,000 children of Israel, it was the grumbling at the graves of craving, or it was the grumbling at, uh, at the report of the spies, or it was the grumbling and it was the rebellion of Korah, or if it was the grumbling and it was those that died um, at the, um, uh, the fiery serpents that were biting the people. And then if they weren't grumbling then, then it was when the daughters of Midian came in and you have the whole story of Phineas and all these different rebellions. They all started with this grumbling that they could not wait for what the Lord was doing. In all cases, that, that, that waiting, that, that they not having the patience to persevere with the will of the Lord and what the Lord is doing from one situation to the next is what causes those to stumble, what causes those to, to grumble amongst one another, to rebel against the Lord. That's what happens if you do not have the patience for what is happening. That's one of the things we always have to remember. And the children of Israel are case in point, example, you know, the piece of evidence, number one, as to why, what can happen and what can go wrong if you don't have the patience to wait on the Lord and what the Lord is doing. There's even a story in extra biblical texts talking about that the plan for the, the children of Israel to escape Egypt. There was a group of the children of Israel, sons of Ephraim, that left Egypt to go and leave, thinking that the prophecy was to be fulfilled, that they were to go and take the land, and they... It was not time yet. It wasn't until later when Moses and the plagues finally got the children of Israel released from Egypt. We must have the patience for when the Lord is acting and what the Lord is doing. Whenever we lose that patience, we have a tendency to look back to the Lord, look up in the sky and say, Lord, why hasn't this happened yet? Why isn't this this or that? It's all like, isn't it? You gave me these promises. When are you going to do it? And what it is, is you, when you talk that way to the Lord, you are putting the Lord to the test. You're testing him. You're not, you're not listening to what he's saying. You're, you're putting him to the test. And that's one of the things that um, the children of Israel did. In fact, the Lord says in the, in the Torah, 10 times they tested the Lord. 10 times. 
whether it's at the crossing of the Red Sea or at the bitter waters of Mara or, or, or uh, keeping the manna for a second day rather than eating it all in the first or, um, or whether it was at the water and grumbling at the, before water came from the rock or it was the golden calf or it was all the ten times in the Torah. The children of Israel put the Lord to the test. Our Torah portion says, we do not test him. The Lord puts us to the test. That's what he was doing with the children of Israel in the wilderness. And there is a uh, fascinating passage that, of course, connects to our Torah portion for our Brit Hadashah for this week. You, we can go to Luke chapter 4 or Matthew chapter 4. I actually want to go to Matthew chapter 4 because I like the order that it gives. But this, of course, is the temptation of the Messiah in the wilderness. Now, for all of us that study Torah all the time, most of the Torah takes place with the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. And then we have the Messiah immediately after being baptized by John the Baptist and the Holy Spirit being filled inside of him. The very first thing he did, rather than going and starting to pick up the disciples and starting the, his actual ministry of then ministering in Galilee and, and, and across the nation of Israel, the very first thing after being filled with the Holy Spirit and being baptized, the Messiah goes into the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights. Interesting. Okay, the, uh, whenever you see the, the same pattern, the same number, there's a connection back to it. 40 days, 40 nights. Um, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. There's a connection there. The Messiah goes into the wilderness. Now, one of the things that I've always, uh, I like to say about the Messiah is that the Messiah, his sacrifice pays for every sin that has ever been committed in the past and into the future. That's what the actual sacrifice, that, that there's a connection to the Messiah hanging on the tree at the, at Mount, on the Mount of Olives that paid the price for the original sin committed by Adam in the garden. And that he paid the price for the original sin. He paid the price for other sins that have ever taken place. He paid the price for Israel rejecting the covenant and breaking the covenant with God. He paid the price for all of these sins. That's the miracle of the sacrifice of the Messiah. Well, I actually think also the Messiah paid the price for any of the sins committed by the children of Israel in the wilderness as well. In fact, for him to be our savior... For him to give us the example of overcoming all sin and all temptation so that we as human beings have the example to follow that it can be done, the Messiah went into the wilderness and one of the first things that he experienced in the wilderness was hunger. Hunger. The Messiah overcame the temptation of hunger. Well, how many times did the children of Israel have a temptation of hunger? Many times. They wanted meat or, or they were thirsty or they, they, they needed bread and then comes the manna and then they wanted meat and then the quail comes. And, and many times they grumbled because of hunger. In fact, our Torah portion specifically says, I allowed you to go hungry, the children, the, God says to the children of Israel, so that you might be humbled so that you might then choose me, follow me, and learn that God does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. That quote is from our Torah portion this week, and now you know why this is our Brit Hadashah portion. Because when the Messiah was there in the wilderness, the enemy comes. Hasatan, or the adversary, he comes and he tempts the Son of God. He tempts the Messiah. And he says, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And the Messiah quoted this Torah portion in Matthew 4, verse 4. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
The Messiah gave the example of overcoming the temptation of hunger. Children of Israel back in the wilderness, they could have used that example. They needed somebody at certain times to say, guys, we don't live by bread alone. I know you're hungry, but the Lord is testing us. The Lord is humbling us so that we might walk uprightly before him. That's what somebody of a different spirit would say to amongst the children of Israel to overcome those trials and those tests. In fact, reading between the lines, there were people that probably said that amongst the children of Israel. Because every time that they grumbled about being hungry, not every single one of the children of Israel got caught up in that sin or in that rebellion or died with the quail stuck between their teeth when the Lord actually brought the quail and killed many brethren at the graves of of craving. There were those, everybody was probably hungry, but there were those among them that knew, look, the, the Lord is with us. The Lord is guiding us. We still got a pillar of cloud by day, fire by night uh, in the camp. My hunger is temporary. I know who I'm following. I know who I believe in. And God did not bring me out here into the wilderness to die, but he brought us out here and he is taking us to the promised land and I can stand to be a little hungry. That's the kind of spirit that the people in the, amongst the camp and the children of Israel probably needed to hear. Now, we don't have it recorded that somebody said that, But I believe somebody had to. That was the spirit that would have been needed to overcome that situation. Exactly what the Messiah had to deal with here. The Messiah put himself into the wilderness, just like the children of Israel were in the wilderness for a very long time. And he showed the ability to overcome each and every one of those temptations. Continuing on, what were the other what was the other thing that that Satan was tempting the Messiah with? If we continue on, verse 5 of Matthew chapter 4. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle for the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands uh, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Yeshua said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. This is one of those things where You don't tempt the Lord, even if the Lord has said, this is what I'm going to give to you. If you act presumptuously, if you suddenly think, oh, no, I've I've been given all of this inheritance, all of these blessings and, and, and things, the Lord will do it for me. And then it's like, no, don't put God to the test. That's what the Messiah is saying to saying to the devil here. And he's tempting him with, with, with the, the Jerusalem and, and the temple and, and all power and all authority. Look, absolute power corrupts absolutely. The children of Israel, even as the people of God, can never hold themselves to some sort of esteem higher and somehow think that they are greater than all. So uh, that's where you start to brag. That's where new pride sets in. Children of Israel were taught to always remember, look, you are a stranger in the land of Egypt, so you will do good to the stranger among you. You will do good for the, you will even, and and Paul, as he was saying back in Romans as well, you even bless your enemy. Repay those who curse you with, with love and compassion. Pray for those. Bless those who curse you. Bless your enemies. Because the children of Israel, remember, you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Humble, humility, that's what you must have. And the devil tempted him again. He took him to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And Yeshua said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Messiah went into the wilderness and he overcame the sin and the temptations that 
the children of Israel faced, whether it's in the wilderness or even after they entered into the land. Because again, they got consumed by, again, all the gold, all the silver, all, all the, the holy artifacts. There's a, there's a terrible story after the story of Jericho where you have the, the, the men. It's in Joshua uh, chapter 7, the battle of Ai, where they, after they captured um, uh, the, the Jericho, that there was men among them that found some of the like garb or, or, or the, the holy garments of the priests to this pagan god, and they thought that, oh, this looks great. And so they decided to keep it and hide it and stash it away because they coveted it. And then the children of Israel then lost a great battle, and many children of Israel died in the next battle because they had brought a curse upon the camp of Israel because they were consumed by what their eyes saw and because they were tempted by, these, by, by the gold and the silver and the things of these other nations and these other gods. And that consumed them and caused harm to come to the camp. They had to overcome that temptation. Now, when they actually found, finally found out who took the holy garments, and then they, they promptly killed them, and then suddenly the children of Israel, they removed the curse from their camp, and then they went on to win many more battles after that. Might I recommend that we learn to overcome that temptation before we bring a curse upon our entire community or a curse upon our families? Because we must learn, we have to hold ourselves to this higher standard to not go following after these other things, to not have our eyes go whoring after other idols and coveting the gold and the silver and all these other things or wondering, how did they worship that God over there? Because once you bring those things in, you bring the curse upon you and upon your family and your community even your nation. These are things that we have to overcome. And the Messiah, if the Messiah can reject all the kingdoms of the earth, all power, all authority over all of the earth, and even the Messiah, the Son of God, who I believe was God, was he and the Father were one, that if then he overcome the, overcame the temptation of all power and all authority and took the humble approach, as he was the suffering servant, humble enough to actually wash the feet of his own disciples and to then reject that temptation of the enemy, then we too have the example of being able to reject those things. We And we must. When the enemy tempts us with what he puts before us, when you see all of these things, all these physical temptations in the world, all, I mean, how many times do you maybe see, I don't know if you're watching TV or you're, you see people with certain jobs and you see, hear about, you know, CEOs of big companies that have all the money in the world. And you sit there and you're like, all right, well, I'm, I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying to follow the Lord and, and yeah, I lead a Bible study and I do all these things. It's all like, man, but, you know, money's always really tight and I'm just not. And it's like, man, wouldn't it have just been better if I just had, I picked the wrong job working in ministry? You can look at somebody who makes a lot more money than, than you do working in ministry. And you can say, man, did I pick the wrong job? Should I have gone after these other things? And then suddenly I would have all this money and gold and riches and, 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 and I'd be like higher up in the world. And it's like, no, but when you read the scripture, you then say, you know what? The Lord is always in the business of humbling his people, testing his people to make sure they follow him and not follow after the temptations of the world. So if you might be in ministry and say, you know what, I'm never making enough money. I'm going to quit this and I'm going to go do, I'm going to go work in a secular job, Fortune 500, and I'm going to have way more money than I ever would have had do working this. Is that the righteous decision to make? Anyone who's a believer has to say, has to confess like, no, we need to serve the Lord. We need to take that humble approach. 
The Lord will meet our needs. The Lord will take care of the things that we need. In fact, the Lord is always committed to meeting their needs. Children of Israel, even in the wilderness, without a, with traveling in tents and, and wandering in the wilderness, their needs were still met. The manna fell every day for those 40 days, save for Sabbath, for 40 years. The water, they always had water. And when they needed water, there was water. The needs were met. If the, the Lord is committed to meeting our needs. The Lord is not committed to meeting our greed and our wants. So what we have to do is we have to maintain that level of humility instead of following after the ways of the world or following after what the world has to offer. Because whenever you see that, whenever you see rich people, you know, whether it's on TV, reality shows, or, or, or you hear about them on the news or something like that, you know, you sit there and it's all like, you might be tempted to live that kind of lifestyle, to do whatever job that they do so that then you can have all the money in the world. That's a temptation. That's the world telling you that what you have isn't enough. What you need to do is you need to bow down to the ways of the world. You need to bow down to the ruler of the world, the one who has dominion over the dust of the earth, uh, which is the devil and the serpent, and that if you bow to him, then he'll give you everything that you want. Now, that's not to say, I'm not saying ipso facto, that everybody that does have a lot of money in the world, that they are all minions of the devil. That all these people, every single person that's rich in the world has sold their soul to the devil so that they can be rich. I'm not implying that whatsoever. There's no way that I believe anyone in this world can make that judgment whatsoever. Only the Lord can make that judgment. But for each individual person that might look at somebody who has more than they do, don't follow the temptation and go following after the gold and silver. Instead, take the humble approach. Follow the Lord in what he is teaching you, what he's leading you to do. Follow the example of the Messiah who overcame the temptations in the wilderness. Because that's where we find ourselves every day in our lives. In the wilderness. In a wilderness of worlds. Wilderness of words. That the information age that we live in is just... It's so hard to stay focused on what the Lord is trying to teach us when you see what's going on in the world every single day, every single you turn on the news and what you see. And so don't get caught up in all the ways of the world, but keep your eyes solely focused on what the Lord is doing, how he's called you and how he has taught us through his word, his commandments, through the Torah on how we are to live uprightly before him. Now I want to go to Romans chapter 2. And this is, well, like I said before, in our Torah portion here, we have what is described as the essence of the law. The essence of the law. In fact, what I want to do is I want to go back to our Torah portion here, and I want to touch, I want to touch on this and, and read what, what is actually said here. Because like I said before, this in, in our Torah portion here is probably one of the most New Testament-sounding passages that comes to us from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning at verse uh, 12, this is what it says here, reading now from the Torah. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes that I command you today for your good. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. Verse 16, Deuteronomy 10. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. 
For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of hosts, the great mighty, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God, and you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude. That word, that wording there, when he's talking about, look, it's circumcised the foreskin of your hearts. This connects directly to something Paul said. Paul being the one who, uh, who studied under Gamaliel, who was one of the great teachers of all the, the law and, and in the Jewish tradition is one of the, the greatest uh, scholars of the Torah from the first century. <clears throat> and Paul here then specifically teaches to us here in Romans chapter 2, speaking to us about circumcision, not being about the circumcision of the flesh, but the circumcision of the heart. When in truth be told, that original concept comes to us from Torah. Well, some might talk about Torah and say, oh, so that's just a bunch of archaic practices. Circumcision from Abraham, physical circumcision, that's all the Torah is about. But in the New Testament, all we then talk about is spiritual circumcision, circumcision of the heart. No, that concept came originally from the Torah in a little section that my New King James calls the essence of the Torah. But it's not about the physical things, but it's about the spiritual things. It's about being circumcised and having the commandments of the Lord written on your heart, cut into your heart, not carved into stone, but carved and cut into your heart so that you know what to do for someone, how to love the stranger, how to clothe the naked, feed the hungry, do all of these things. That is what it says It's the essence of the law to administer justice for the fatherless, for the widow, giving those that are in need food and clothing. Uh, Paul says this in Romans chapter 2 at verse 25. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, right, that would be administering, you know, uh, justice to the widow and the fatherless and helping those that are hungry and, and in need, then will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? Not that you had to physically do it, but it actually accounts. That's because it does. Verse 27. And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? See, this is the thing is that even when the, when the commandments are written on your heart and you live and you operate that way, well, then you start calling out the hypocrisy when you see somebody not living that way. And that's what's happened, actually, in a lot of times. If you talk about... Those of us here in the Messianic movement who really dig in, love the law, love keeping the Torah, and then imagine when you find somebody who's, who's a Jew by heritage, and then you find out they're not keeping the law as well as you are. You're not even a physical descendant of, of, of Judah or of Jewish heritage, but you're keeping the law, and your actions, even though you might be uncircumcised of the flesh, you have your heart is circumcised, and it has become as circumcision for you, and even those that are physically circumcised, that they then are then judged by those who, who are keeping it with their heart. 
Verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And that's what it is. When the Lord looks at our hearts, looks inwardly and sees what he sees. That's the other funny thing about circumcision, as personal of a subject as that is. You can't look at somebody and tell if they're circumcised or not. It's kind of hidden. It's kind of behind some, some, some trousers and some clothing. And that's not something that you really can see. Ultimately, what's in someone's heart is something you can't see either. The Lord, what does he see? What does the Lord see when he sees you? Now, does he some, see somebody who is physically circumcised? He, then what he sees is he sees somebody who has read, or who, who is a follower of the law, where it says, where even Paul said, it's profitable if you keep the law. That parents had known of the commandment. And so they went through and they followed the commandment to circumcise their son. And so the Lord sees a follower of his law, of his commandments, if he sees the physical circumcision. But ultimately, the Lord has the ability to look into our hearts and he says, well, what's there as well? I see the physical signs of somebody who keeps the law. But do I see the spiritual signs of someone who keeps the law? Is that person a good person? Is that person kind? Do they, do they feed the hungry? Do they clothe the naked? Do they help the stranger? Do they try to administer justice to the widow and the fatherless? To do right by someone who can't defend themselves? Or do all of those good works, those good things, that all those good Christian things, are they the ones who are doing those things? Well, if that person is not phys- circum- physically circumcised, but Paul is saying here, it counts as circumcision for them because when the, Paul, when the Lord sees their heart, He sees a true worshiper and a follower of him and his law, whether it's physical, outward, or not. Because, again, like he says, a Jew is not one who is outwardly, but one who is inwardly. The one who believes it, the one who acts that way, who acts like the Lord has called them to act and behave the way that the Lord wants us to behave, and a follower of the Torah. And let me tell you this. There are people in this world that follow Torah and they've never read a Bible in their entire life. They've never read the first five books of the Bible to know what is a Torah commandment, what is not a Torah commandment. But I believe you me, there are people that live and operate, whether they call it a moral code or whatever other, other thing they want to call it. They act righteously, appropriately, morally. They give to those who are in need. They help their fellow brother. They have love for their neighbor. And they have a humility inside of them that does what is right, does righteousness, understands what true justice is. And they live and they operate with that as a code and as a principle. And it counts as if they are a keeper of the Torah to their benefit, to their credit even if they've never held a Bible in their entire lives or read one or even heard the good news any way, shape, or form. Those are people who are circumcised of the heart with the law of God written on their heart. This is now, now when those of us that have the benefit of the Torah and what the word of God says and have the benefit of hearing these stories or hearing the testimony or having people around us, pastors, uh, uh, teachers who teach the word to us, How much worse is that if we reject God when we actually have the words that are spoken to us, that are supposed to convict us, to cause us to follow his word, his commandments, and his instructions? That doesn't look too good on us. This is that higher standard that I'm talking about here. 
If somebody's never heard the word of Torah, you can sit there and you can say, look, there is an ignorance there that says that they've never heard it. Now, it should be our job and opportunity to extend what the word of God says so that their benefits and the blessings that come from keeping the word of God can extend to them. Once they know, well, then they have a choice to make. As the Torah gives us a choice, choose life, choose death, choose blessing, choose curse. We'll be getting into those in the next couple of passages here as we close out the book of Deuteronomy. But we have a choice. When the choice has been laid before us, we then have to make the right decision. And when we do, when we become a keeper of the law, then we become his humble servants that wait patiently for what the Lord is doing in the world, in our lives. Lord, I follow you. I commit my life to you. And sometimes people get they get burned out because they feel like the Lord's not looking at them, not talking to them, not any of these things. But, however, the, children, the God said, look, I'm going to bring these things about little by little. I have a plan. I have a purpose. I am a God of order, not a God of chaos. And the Lord will do things in his timing, not in our timing, in what time we think it should happen. It should have already happened. Or whatever. No, the Lord will do it in his timing. If we truly are a follower of him, a keeper of his commandments, then we will submit to when it happens. We will submit to how it will happen when the Lord calls it about. We, we, don't just, we need to not keep sitting here debating with one another on what God can and can't do and what he should do and shouldn't do and what he will do and when, he, when is he going to punish that sinner over there and when am I going to get my blessings here because I'm a good keeper of the law. No, th- these are all a bunch of debates that, that we have no business getting into. Vengeance is the Lord's. All power and goes to him. He is sovereign over this whole world. He will do what he will do. Though, though I, heard, I heard a great quote uh, just recently that was like, uh, can God do this? And it's like, well, if you ever start a question with can God, whatever comes after that is irrelevant. Because God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. And there is nothing that God can't do. So if you ever ask if uh, can God whatever, the question becomes irrelevant. Because we don't put God in a box. We don't control him. He is the ruler of heaven and earth. And we submit to him, his rule and his authority. We just have to have the patience, the fruit of the spirit, the love for our brothers, to, to, the, the joy, the peace, be kind to one another. If we can just live and operate in that way, we'd be good. We'd be golden. And if we continue to do it day after day, then we're not, we won't get caught up in any rebellions. There'll be no reason to grumble or or complain or anything like that if we can just live and operate in that way, in that fashion. And that's all God asks us to do. Keep the essence of the law. To love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself, do good for one another, don't put God to the test. No, the Lord will meet your needs. You don't have to test him, you don't have to worry. Sometimes he lets you go hungry to see what's in your heart. To see if you have a circumcised heart who has love in it and follows after the Lord, or if there's bitterness in your heart, or anger, or whatever might come out. Sometimes the Lord will test you. Don't put him to the test. Amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this teaching this week. We thank you for your commandments and your instruction. Um, Father, as you have given the children of Israel to be an example for us, Father, I pray that um, we would always look and learn from that example, Lord, as they made many mistakes, Father. Um, Lord, we know that they are your chosen people, Father. 
and that you will restore and remember your covenant with them if their descendants, even the natural ones or those that are adopted into the family of Israel, Lord, if we confess our sins and our iniquities before you, Lord, then you will remember your covenant. So, Father, we submit humbly to your word and to your commandments and to your ways, Father. Give us the patience and all the other fruits of the Spirit, Lord, that we need as you continue to enact your will upon this earth. Father, we submit humbly to your perfect will in all things that we do as we uh, continue to live our lives as best we can, uprightly before you, as, as keepers of the commandments, Lord, in whatever capacity we can, Father. I pray that obedience would be in our hearts, Lord, and that it's not about what we do on the out, outwardly, Lord, but what we do and what we have written on our hearts, Lord, is truly what counts as circumcision to us and counts as those that follow your covenant and your commandments. So, Father, we love you, we bless you, and we thank you on this Sabbath day. I pray for rest and refreshment for all those that would celebrate the Sabbath this week, and we continue to submit to your perfect will in all things. We bless you and we thank you. In Yeshua's name, amen. Shabbat shalom. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Bow down, kneel before the Lord our Maker. Come and worship and bow down, kneel before the Lord our Maker. Come and worship and bow down, kneel before the Lord our Maker. 
For joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom.